accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another historic episode of Make It Count. And today, folks, I have got a real treat for you. I am always super excited when we get to represent somebody from my homeland of the United Kingdom. So today I am delighted to welcome Mr. Steve Price, Director at BWP Inspire. Steve, welcome to Make It Count. Hi, Freddie. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm having a. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. It's going to be. It's going to be great, Steve. I tell you, many are called, but few are chosen. And I know we are. We are going to have a <laughs> a, a great conversation today. So, Steve, for anyone that that hasn't heard about yourself or or BWP Inspire, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, yeah, thank you very much for that, Freddie. I'm sure there are plenty that haven't heard of us. Um, my name is Steve Price and I run a practice. We're called BWP Inspire. We're based in Manchester and that's obviously in the north of England. So we are at polar opposites today, Freddie, on based on where we are. Well, I've been I've been trading as um, a practice accountant now for something approaching 15 years. Um, but Inspire itself is just four years. Two practices merged four years ago. That was quite a significant stage in, in, in my career and my progression because we saw the opportunity to use that merger to gain scale to do what we really wanted to do and that was really getting into our clients to offer the services that we now offer them so that we could help them grow and move away from just that statutory platform onto a much more advisory and supportive platform which is really what we're all about. I'm glad to say that's been a success but of course we never actually arrive. We're always on a journey. So we keep trying to build on that um, going forward. Amazing. I, I love to get a uh, like an inspirational quote in there it, just to start off everything. So we never actually arrive. We're always on a journey. I love that. And uh, I'm totally right as well. I think when we look at change, both internally and externally with our clients is sometimes you think of something a change emerge as like a project plan with a deadline or a due date then we say right that's it that's done we've merged we've changed but it sounds like as you're saying as part of this journey and, and many others that that change and that evolution is always something that's happening Absolutely. And to arrive is to get bored, is it not? I mean, I can say all this in business speak, if you aren't, or I can just be selfish for a second and say, I don't want it to stop evolving. You know, that keeps my interest going. Even though I'm an accountant and have been all my working life, I actually claim to have been four different types of accountant. Mm -hmm. And I started off in industry and people from the UK will recognize SEMA. In fact, people from 
outside of the UK, mm. will recognise SEMA. That was my route in, and that doesn't make me unique, but it does make me quite rare in this industry. So I started in industry. I then became a systems analyst, helping to implement account systems into SMEs and the like. And so I started to really understand the data that drives our accounting systems. I then opened a practice and started to understand things about tax and statutory accounting. And these days, I would probably best describe myself as a business coach. And to me, that's four different types of accounting. Mm. And when I look back at my career, that's what's kept me going, that need to change. Mm. And each time, I think I've gone to something rather than come away from something. You know, something has allured me rather than I'm fed up with this now, I need to change. And so they're big changes, but every week and every day, we want changes. And you've just described that, Freddie, as evolution. That That's great for me because it keeps me interested. I love that. Change is always one of those funny things. I'm still heavily involved in, in change for accounting firms and their clients. That was my career was in, in the corporate accounting industry. But I always find, I'd love to get your opinion on this, change is something, it's a word and an approach that is banded around so much these days. We all talk about change and change management, and we've all seen the quotes and read the quotes and, and read the books. But talking about those four steps of change that, that you've been through, what is change to you? Is it something that you seek? Is it something, as you say, that you you keep moving towards? Is it something that you feel is essential? What is it? That's a good question. So I think we all know change is a mindset mm. fundamentally. Um, people use the phrase change for change's sake, and that's generally seen as a bad thing. But change is an output, isn't it? Mm. It's not. Change is just what happens when we decide something else. I think the essence to answer your question, really, Freddie, is we need to keep questioning things. A mindset of continuous improvement, whether that be for our own practice or whether that be with our clients in mind. And when we start to address that and look at that properly, we need to start to say, okay, does that require change? I don't think change is the driver, change is the output, if you, mm. if you follow what I'm saying. So it's a mindset really based upon always challenging, always questioning, always wanting to create those incremental improvements. And we know we're not really looking to create a 50% improvement today because that creates a cycle that isn't sustainable generally within businesses. So it's about incremental changes, small changes over time mm. that we can then sustain. And I think it's pretty much just a question of saying, Almost 99% of the time, change is inevitable because when we make the challenge, when we ask the right questions, we realize there are things we can tweak and there are things we can ramp up or, or change the way we do. Mm. I, it'd be easy for me to sit here and start quoting Einstein and saying, you know, the definition of insanity, blah, blah, mm. blah. We all know that. But as I say, I don't think change for change's sake is what's important. It's the want and the need and the hunger to challenge which then creates change that is it's such a powerful way of putting it and, and i love that i think as you say it change is inevitable and it is something that, that we should usually seek rather than have change thrust upon us but um as you say that the change is an output and i have to know steve when you talk about these four types of accountant that you've been how much of this of your career so far has been by design did you always think, right, I'm going to do industry, then we'll go into, into the systems and the practice? Or has it just been these different opportunities that came up, these different opportunities to change as it was as, as you were moving through your career? 
I'll be completely honest with you. If you're talking about design on day one, design yourself a career, uh, none mm. of it, none of it <laughs> at all. I still wonder, you know, what I want to be when I grow up and all, and all the rest yeah. of that. None of it whatsoever. However, if you then start to say, okay, well, what about as you've gone through your career? Mm. The best way for me to answer that and to be completely honest with you is that all the changes have been selfish ones or at least personal ones. Mm. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm actually proud to say that because I work with business owners all the time. I, I, I try to guide business owners and we, we, we create business plans. And I'm a massive, huge believer in the fact that a business plan has to come out of a personal plan. And when I sit down with a client, all I know almost before we start, always the trickiest part is to get a business owner talking to me about what they personally want. Mm. People generally aren't selfish enough and they fall into the trap. And this is why so many business owners end up with a company that controls them rather than the other way around, because they don't set out with what their personal want is. And that's what I've been very careful to do throughout these. So to answer your question in in the four changes that I've made at each time, it's very definitely been a personal need and a personal want which is why I've chosen to change. So as a good example, but without necessarily spending too long on it, when I went into practice, it was for two main reasons. One was to spend more time at home. I started the practice out of my own home, as so many of us do. And that worked well for me because my wife and I were starting a family, mm. small children. So it worked and and, and, and the whole um, the whole logistics of, of having young children worked for me. And two was because... I just saw the opportunity to work with some of my mates, my friends who had set up their own business and couldn't understand why I as an accountant couldn't help them. Mm. And of course, couldn't help them because I was doing a completely different type of accountancy. And then I thought, well, do you know what? That sounds like good fun. Let's um, let's try and do that. And you invest into the retraining. That's how it changes. But fundamentally, that career not by design has been channeled by personal reasons. And I, I just want to repeat, I'm very proud to say that. I think we all need to do that in our lives. I totally agree, Stephen. There's a couple of points I wanted to pick up on there. And firstly, the, the amazing rule that you almost said as a throwaway comment, that that sounds like fun. And I think what a brilliant rule for life and for business, because we all get different opportunities. We all get different circumstances, both coming our way and, and again, thrust upon us. Having that rule of, I only want to do something if it sounds like fun, I think is such a powerful one. I talk about something similar around, we either say hell yes, or it's a no. If an opportunity comes up, if we're not saying hell yes to it, then we're going to say no to it. Because why else would you want to live your life? Just saying, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I'd rather say no, but I have to say yes. And this leads into my second point around the selfishness, because I 100% agree. And this is something that I've really struggled with. I believe with all of the accounting firms that I, I work with and have spoken to and, and the hundreds of accountants, there's something there that accountants themselves worry that they're being selfish. They worry that they can't say no to their clients. They struggle with boundaries. They say yes when, when maybe they shouldn't. They give away their time for free. All of this because there's that fear of, I can't put myself and, and my needs first. And, and is that something that, that you see with, with accountants as well? I see both types of accountants mm. there, but um, and I can remember my learning process like this. And it was one of those moments where it dawned on me, you know, you only get one take at this. 
We know our ability to say no, not just in business, not just as an accountant, but in life, our ability to say no is one of the single most significant factors that channels what we actually can can therefore do. Do I sit here and, and become condescending or even arrogant? No, I'm not trying to do that. But I think it's a massive failing particularly for accountants when you can't see it like that. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. Day one of my practice, year one of my practice, Mm -hmm. that is not how it was because we need to get a certain grounding. Mm. We need to get to a certain stage. And so, yes, please, yes, thank you was always the answer. And we know it's so tempting to underprice just to make sure the answer is yes in those early years. I've been through that. I'm no different. Mm. This wasn't by design. The learning comes along the way, as as we say, along the journey, etc., But in hindsight, and now certainly from this point where I'm at now, no doubt about it at all. You put yourself first, and that actually is the best way in which you can help other people. It's absolutely right. And it's the old saying of of on an aeroplane, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help other people. And I speak from my own experience here. There is sometimes when... Well, we all get busy and, and we have clients and we have deadlines and we have pressures and we think, well, what? Something's got to give here. What's it going to be? It's going to be my sleep. It's going to be my diet. It's going to be my exercise. It's going to be me doing the work that I enjoy doing because I need to put that on the back shelf while I slog through this stuff that I have to do that I don't want to do. And it's it's so easy to put ourselves further and further back. If we remember your words, if, if we say we we do have the power of, of saying no and, and choosing our own destiny, then I, I find it, uh, and I know accountants find it quite quite liberating as well. Yeah, I mean, another sort of way to look at this, I'm, I'm sure you'll be aware of living your life through a perspective of freedoms. I mean, we talk about money mm. freedom, that's that's right in the lap of accountants, but also time freedom and then mind freedom. Mm. Let's talk about that word fun again. One of our core values here at Inspire is to walk the talk. So if I'm going to sit with a client, And I'm going to talk to them about trying to create their own business in a framework that is based around their own personal wants, which can be defined as the three freedoms. Mm. Then who am I if I don't live my life like that as well? So I know we were talking just a minute or two before we came on air here, Freddie, but obviously we're both keen advocates of of endurance sports, long distance running, triathlon, et cetera. Definitely. My day starts with that every day. Mm. And I don't think about, I don't get into work. I don't worry about anything till I've got my training done every day. Mm. That works for me and it makes me more effective at work as well. And that is, you know, this word design, that daily design is absolutely paramount to how I come. And that is me living my freedoms. That's the, the mind freedom I get in the morning, which requires an element of time freedom such that I can be more effective in the business place. But I don't know, maybe the different people who might be listening to the podcast, but some might take this as arrogance. Some might take this as, you know, he's the last accountant I'd ever won. He seems to be so conceited within what he wants himself. But I think it is a mindset change. Those who perhaps do understand where I'm coming from, it's actually, I'm actually trying to purport to being a better accountant or at least supporting our clients better. I believe you can only do that if you do that for yourself first. Oh, I, I 100% uh, agree, Steve. And if anyone's not liking this, then uh, they can they can go against me as well. But I, I believe selfishness <laughs> is a superpower. And again, speaking from my own experience, the times when I always felt overwhelmed, when I felt busy, 
when I was then getting home every night and being annoyed and grumpy with those around me because I hadn't done my training and I hadn't, I basically hadn't done what I wanted to do that day. It was because my diary was full of other people's goals and dreams and I'd put, put yes. mine away. Yes. And I have to, do you schedule training, like are they calendar entries, training sessions? Re- religiously. No, mine are as well. And, and yes, admittedly, there may be people listening to this that may not be into ultra marathons and endurance sports and everything as we are, but everyone will have an interest and maybe that will be reading a book. Maybe it's Pilates, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's go for a walk with your dog along the river, whatever it is. But unless we schedule those things in our diaries, then then someone else's goals will fill our diaries. So I'm like, why not fill your diary with your own goals and desires first before you start piling other people's on top? Yeah, 100%. And there's another key point to this as well. In, in terms of the sport that I do, I make myself accountable to a coach. And in the mm. business that I do, I make myself accountable to a mentor. And guess what I do for a living? I give accountability to business owners so that they can do the same thing. You know, it's it's, it's a chain. It's a consistent mm. chain. If your passion is reading or walking the dog or, or what's very common, which is to spend time with your own family and children, it's not so easy to create that accountability. And yet it is. Mm. You become accountable to your children, don't you, in the, in the value of the life they get. But it's an absolute critical factor in it. And it's all again i'll use that word mindset it's living your life by these sort of rules or mantras etc and once Mm. it clicks together you really do see how that makes a big difference and everything uh, everything does come together on it it really does i totally agree and i think it was something i i had i heard in the conversation with with an accountant a while ago and the accountant i think they were they were a client manager and they were saying why I want my clients to trust me. How do I be a trusted advisor? We always talk about being a trusted advisor, but how do I actually get to be one? And I said, but you don't trust yourself. So how do you expect your clients to trust you? You don't start trusting yourself until you become accountable for your actions. You don't become accountable for your actions until you are actually accountable to other people. And uh, and this also attaches to, to my next question around you talk about your coaches and uh, the fact that you you are that accountable coach for your clients. Certainly here in New Zealand, I, I see many accountants, against, especially that uh, accountant and client manager, that middle level, who don't have an accountability coach, who, who just think, oh, you know, that's coaching something for the partners and directors. And uh, accountants don't always have, as you say, coaches in, in their career to keep them accountable. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah, I think there's a complete mixed bag. Um, I'm a huge mm. advocate of, um, well, I've already mentioned it, walking the talk. If you're going to coach other people, why would you not walk the talk? Why would you not have your own coach? Mm. I suspect the people who don't have coaches have never had a coach and we don't miss what we've never yeah. had. And maybe maybe that's an element to it. Or we believe mm. we're getting accountability from somewhere else. And that's fine. There's a lot of theory as to just how external that other coach could be. But maybe a multi-partner mm. firm can can really strive for a accountability uh, amongst the partners I, I really don't know we're a multi-partner firm yet I still have an external mentor but that works for me and has done for mm. time but um but that chain of accountability throughout is something that needs to be absolutely cherished Definitely. almost in it in almost in everything we do you know at school we're brought up in a framework and although we don't realize it the pain of the exams and the teachers they're creating a, a framework of accountability we are grown up into this establishment maybe as business owners we think the freedom is in releasing any accountability 
But then we question why we don't actually have any freedom because the business ends up controlling us. Mm. So maybe it's just a, a little bit of a greater perspective that's needed to say, actually, let's try and understand actually what true freedom is and how we actually get it. Absolutely. And as part of that, I know we we may be diverging away from the pure play accounting chat, but I have to ask Steve purely for a personal interest as well. What do you think, if any, the link is between your training that you do on a sports side, anything around that out of work physical training and your performance in work as well? Do you believe that they're linked or is it a case of keep the fun life fun and then the, the work life work? They're inextricably linked. Mm. So my, my goal in sport is to be on the start line for Kona. That You'll ever know what that means. Or, or you, I know you will, Freddie, but listeners <laughs> will over. But it's the, it's the World Championship age group competition within our sport. That is, that is my challenge. So I have a training plan. I have KPIs, all determined by my Garmin stopwatch. And I build mm-hmm. and I progress towards that start line on race day and have an endpoint. And I either will or will not achieve my goals. In business, we have a business plan, we have a forecast, we have our KPIs, which come through our financial systems. We read them, we analyze them, we change, and we don't train, but we effectively do. We operate every day in our business and we work. And when we read our financial statements at the end of the year, we know whether we have achieved our goals. Those goals then go to the different level to achieve the vision over a long period of time. They're exactly the same, Freddie. It's the same. We we swap a few words around, but it's exactly the same thing. I totally agree. And I think for so many years, it was the case of we're a certain person outside of work where we have our hobbies and our sports. And as I say, doing the what people used to think of as the fun stuff. And then you walk through the doors of the practice and you, you know, the, the shutters come down, the mask comes on and you become this totally different person. But, but it's something I see not just in accounting, but actually in the wider business world, that merging of the two lives. And maybe COVID has something to do with that and the fact that maybe work and home was, was merging more. But um, mm. my, my personal view is that you can achieve such a greater level, both as an individual and as a team, if you're aware of, of that healthy mind, healthy body, a balanced lifestyle and, and all these different areas. Yeah, I really agree with that. I think you raise a very good point, Freddie. And, and and there's another way to look at it as well. So the mask that we draw on every time we walk into work and then we take it off for our real life, is that really being us? I think that's one way. The other way is to say, certainly when I was in my younger years, and what I hear a lot of people talking about is how early can we retire? Mm. Well, that's the same thing, but on a longer scale. At what point can we close that door and, and never come back? The way I feel, the way I think about this next day, I'm not too concerned about what day I retire. What I what I put my energy and thoughts into is what work am I going to do for the rest of my career, for the rest of my life? Mm. Let's 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 get that as the quality there. And actually, if I then could come on to another few years and all I'm doing is coaching and helping um, business owners, supporting their business, which I genuinely love doing. And maybe I'm fortunate for that, or maybe I've engineered that. There's probably a combination. But then will come the question, what would I be retiring from? Mm. I'd be retiring from something I I truly love. And if I get up in the morning and do the sport that I love and then do the work that I love, what what is retirement? What does that need to be? And I'm not saying I won't then at one point because of my own age or health issues. Who's to say? But as a way to look at this, why would we need such, especially as business owners, especially as accountants, why do we need such 
big differences between our life inside and outside of work. I completely agree with you there, Freddie. It's um and, and once you do look at it like that, I just think everything becomes so much more enjoyable. And isn't that really what it's all about? 100%. And I think it's, it's a great test as well in terms of, am I enjoying this role? Again, am I am I saying yes to this job, role, business, life, whatever it is that we are leading right now? It's interesting you, you say that, Steve, because I was thinking back to when I started my career and as regular Make It Count listeners will know, I am I'm definitely older than I look and than I sound. But yeah, 20 years ago, I started my career. And one of my first thoughts was, I get to retire at 55 or maybe 60 or maybe 65. And that was, I didn't realise it at the time, but that should have sent alarm bells ringing. That if you're already playing Countdown, whatever I was, only 40 years to go, and then I could start enjoying my life. We see that... In, in so many people in different aspects of life. I think we see it in a short term as well. People like, ah, oh, only four days until it's Friday and only three days to go. And obviously you know, everyone loves loves a weekend and, and you know, spending time with the family and everything. But I think if we are always living our life on countdown, looking at this point in the future, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have fun. Then I'll enjoy my life. It's a dangerous game to play and it should be, Maybe we're not doing what we're destined to do. Uh, after all, why, why be spending time in a life or a career or a business that we want to escape from, that we want to retire from, that we want to take a break from? We all have good days and bad days, but I believe it's in our destiny, as, as I think you've, you've shown with, with your journey, that we can create the existence that we want. It's pretty much a deferred life model, isn't it? Defer all our fun mm. freedom and enjoyment until after an event. We've just got to really graft and put the work in now. Don't get me wrong, we all have to graft. We all have to put mm. that work in. It's just how we go about it and what we get out of it ourselves while we're doing it. If we don't get some element of fulfillment and enjoyment now, then it's a deferred life model, mm. which means, great, we'll have all the fun when we're 70. How much fun can you have then? Well, exactly. And we and it's such a cliche, but we never know what's around the corner. And there's, there's so many stories of people who, who are always there living, they're offsetting their fun and their joie de vivre and, uh, and all these aspects. And then they get to that point and then some unfortunate life event happens to them where they can't enjoy it. And then you think, what a waste. Why not create that life that you want to live now? And I love butchering uh, quotes on Make It Count, but, but someone said, they want the money freedom so they can have the time freedom and the mind freedom. Why not start with the time freedom and the mind freedom? And then generally the, the financial freedom comes around a lot easier. Yeah, completely. We should work together, <laughs> Freddie. Yeah, I, I, I totally concur. Yeah, that's, yeah, can't disagree. I should have a podcast with uh, with all these insights. Who who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? <laughs> but, who, who knew? <laughs> uh, and Steve, let's go for, for a second on to the, you know, the, the more day-to-day -day of your accounting life and your business and, and you mentioned that you had the practice merger four years ago we've talked about the yeah that that ongoing journey of change if you cast your mind back to that four-year moment was it something scary was this change quite forbidding was it exciting did it go how you expected it to how did that whole merger process uh be executed so yeah, I can I can sort of really give you the answer to this as a real lesson for acquisitions and mergers. So mm. two years before it, so let's talk about six years ago, I did an acquisition 
and it went horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, I, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, so we're okay now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I acquired somebody who, uh, who didn't really play by all the rules we should play with by, and that wasn't mm-hmm. a great experience at the moment at the time, and, and was quite um, was quite difficult, very challenging for me. And I'll spare you the details. That was six years ago. Then fast forward two years and coming to a merger, and it would have been very easy for me to say, "Well, you know, I've had an experience here. Back off." Mm. Here's the difference. I merged with a practice and both sides of the merger shared the same mentor. Ah. Now that was key to the establishment of it because we spent a year, a full year in the making of trying to establish how the merger would work. Guess what? We based all this upon. It was a shared sense of our values. Mm. It was a want to create the same culture. It was a merger of vision. It wasn't the, let's have a look at your bunch of clients. Let's have a look at your bunch of clients. Let's have a look at the P&L and see where we can rip out costs and all the rest of it. It wasn't a corporate merger in that sense. It was a merger of where two different groups of people saw the future and saw the vision of what they wanted to create. And so I'm delighted to say it's been an absolute roaring success. In my career, I've had an absolute disaster of a, okay, that was an acquisition rather than a merger, and an absolute dream merger. Mm. And I would say every time it's down to the planning and the convergence of all those key things that really matter right at the heart or the foundation of the business. Well, firstly, I think it's very brave because I always think of these things a bit like a marriage or a relationship. If you've had one that's been a bit of a disaster, you think, am I really ready to metaphorically walk down the aisle again? And the fact that you did and that you went into it with with an open mind and, dare I say, an open heart is a testament to the bravery of being, again, willing and open to change. And secondly, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into this because you're so right and it's so powerful that for two A merger is technically very much a financial thing, and in this case, two fairly financial firms. But the success factors that you talked about, the the vision, the culture, the values, are all what many accountants would traditionally say is the soft and fluffy stuff, but but really is is quite literally a, a deal maker or a deal breaker at times. And how did you find that in terms of how how did you manage to merge? the the vision, the culture, the values, all these things that are so important, yet sometimes so intangible? The first way to answer that is, is as I've already said, it took us 12 months. Mm. We didn't do is overlook it. What we didn't do is pay lip service to it. What we didn't do is get a textbook and say, well, this is what it says we need to do, so we best do that at some point. What we did is we did it properly. We did it fundamentally. So let's get everything on the table. What is your vision? How do you see things going forward? What's your vision? How do you see the industry going? And we we know. I mean, we are we are behind you guys. I'm sure you're aware of this, Freddie. In the in the making tax digital, the digitalization of tax, we're behind you. Mm. But we know we know what that's going to do. We know where that's taking our our industry. It's making big changes, and it's not just HMRC's agenda. It's our agenda and how we use digital tools and what that means to the services we can provide and what that means to the clients we can take. That means to be part of our vision. Mm. Are we going to be priced out of the market because compliance work becomes commoditized? We haven't seen that yet in our country. I know that you have. I believe that you guys have. We haven't seen that mm. yet. We, we we still believe it's in the post. What are we going to do about that? Are we going to sit here and worry about it? Are we going to sit here and blame everybody else and say this industry was once great and now it's not? 
these are the factors that came into our work on what's our vision going forward. And then you couple those with what are our values. Let's not lose sight of what matters to us. As soon as you've got that in place, the next question and always has to be is how do we communicate this? How do we push this out to our team? Because if we're three partners strong and we all really great that when we get in a huddle, all this is, is converged amongst us three. That means nothing at all to the business if there's 20 other people out there who aren't privy to this conversation and don't share that vision or values. Mm. So the communication then becomes part of it as well. And as I say, I'll finish where I started. Took us 12 months. Mm. I'm not saying it has to take 12 months, but I am saying that lip service goes nowhere. Having your vision written on the wall in an office on its own goes nowhere. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying on its own doesn't tick a box. It's about mm. instilling it into the business and living it every day. And I think some of the guys are probably sick to the back teeth of me because it becomes harboring on about, don't forget our core values. When we react to something, when we make a decision, well, let's just check that against our vision. Does he really have to prolong things every time? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, because that's the framework we set for everything going forward. So no shortcuts might be a a good way to describe it, but do it properly, do it fundamentally. Absolutely. And I always say how you do one thing is how you do everything. And the fact that a vision and values aren't just something that you write on the wall. It's not just something that you put in an email to, to clients. The only way that they become real is, is by acting them every day and not just saying, well, we're going to be like that for our clients, but then not worry about it when we're just behind closed doors. Something like that. It has to be lived and it has to be that way of existing. And and as you say, also over a longer time scale, it change doesn't happen overnight. And, and the fact that you've you've managed to implement it, though, still and still implement it, I think gives a lot of hope and a lot of guidance to so many other firms out there as well. You know, we're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I, I can sit here and I can tell you all morning in my own words how good this is. It's not quite as easy as the sound bites that I'm making. Of course, you get things wrong and you come back. But it's that thing about having a fundamental bedrock to come back to that's what the values are if you if you use them they come back to yeah okay we got that wrong why was it wrong yeah it kind of wasn't really us was it we kind of didn't act in the way we know we should it gives you it gives you something to come back to but it's not often a straight line we know that in reality you know we've made Mm. bad we've made bad choices and we've made good choices but over the course of the last four years we have seen definite positive progression based upon what I would trace back to these um, these foundations. Absolutely. I have to ask now, and looking to the present and also to, to the future, you've talked about the fourth type of accountant that you are now as uh, as more of the business coach. We've mentioned there is starting to be a shift to advisory, as you say, but compliance work is still certainly there right in the centre and will be for the future. But what is your view on accountants and accounting firms delivering more advisory work to their clients do you think again if we're talking about change is this an easy change is it a change that you think many accountants and and practices still struggle with how do you see that playing out there is the question right there i don't know my my observation at the moment is that and really i probably need to just talk about the uk i'm not entirely sure i I get Mm. again i get the impression from my perspective in the uk i would say there are 10 steps of talking and one step of doing 
amongst our industry in the UK right now. And it's not new as a conversation. We've been talking about this for at least 10 years and and people might Mm. define that as the last three decades because in one phase Mm. or another, we've always been advising clients. Mm. My personal outlook on this is that, you know, ideas are great, but ideas only become worthy of change when you actually implement them. And so we go to the various conferences that are on and everybody wants to talk about advisory. What do you do the day after when you come back to your practice? What do you actually do about it and how do you instill it? And you might say, yeah, well, I talk to clients about this all the time and I'm advising them and they trust me and they like me. And there is a huge sense of well-being from that. And it's brilliant. Mm. But how do you systemize it? How do you create a structure within your business so that you can do it sustainably? Because I think that is the only way that we get paid fairly for it. What I see with a lot of accountants is we will make sure we absolutely charge for every single hour of bookkeeping we do. And then at the end of the year, we'll spend an hour in a room with them, give them a phenomenal sense of value and all kinds of ways to to save money and grow the business. And don't even recognize that as an opportunity to charge Yet one hour of bookkeeping goes over and we need to make sure there's a few pounds or dollars made sure on the next invoice. And and, and it's that, it's that idea of recognizing that value and systemizing it. The other thing that falls out of systemization is, again, in the name of sustaining that for the future. And this is exactly where we're at in Inspire at the moment. Advisory services tend to be something that's held by partners and the rest of the business don't do it. And we've been uh, guilty of that, if you like. We've been doing that. Mm. At the moment, there's a project within Inspire where all our client managers are embarking on and have been doing advisory work, not just because they're advising a client, because they are running an advisory program with a client, which is charged for on a recurring fee basis. And it's that Mm. change there that is fundamental to actually instilling advisory into the business. I love that. And out of interest, how how are the managers reacting when people that may have come into accounting say, I wanted to be an accountant who does accounting and does compliance work. And now you're, you're saying to them, well, we're doing this advisory and you're going to be coming on this advisory journey and not just that, but taking your clients on this advisory journey. Are they another change? Is it something that excites them? Does it make them fearful? Are they they're saying... I could never sell and deliver this stuff. I'm an accountant. So excitement and fear often go hand in they hand. Certainly do. So there's a little bit of both. Mm. However, they are completely embracing it. And that's all I can ask of them. They're embracing it and they're fulfilling it. And some are moving at different paces than others. And all we can do as their employers, as the practice, is to support them and guide them. And we've actually got external helping to do this as well. We're not trying to do it all ourselves. We've actually got, you know, in the name of accountability, again, if you like, we've got uh, some of the people who we who we work with and, and trust ourselves as a practice mm. to guide them along, along this journey. But do you know what, Freddie? Our biggest challenge isn't finding new clients. Our biggest challenge isn't selling advisory services. Our biggest challenge is finding the right people. And I know everybody <laughs> will say this because we're not unique in this. So one of the ways to solve any recruitment problem is to retain staff. Mm. And it's my belief the way to retain these kind of guys, not not necessarily everybody, but these guys who came in on on their first day said, I want to be an accountant. The best way to retain them is to give them a fulfilling job. If they don't like it, they don't like it. And maybe they want to be something else. But I know through first-hand experience, I've talked you through my career progression and how I looked for more fulfillment at every stage. 
that is what I can honestly say we're trying to create for these guys. And that's the real win. Mm. Employee happiness and employee retention is the other, if you like, bigger effect than just what you're providing for your clients as well. Absolutely. 100%. People are our future. And uh, and certainly for, for accounting practices, it is that uh, it's about being fit for the future through team members, through the, the next generation, the directors and partners of the future. And I think you're absolutely right, Steve, in terms of retaining them and giving them the work that's challenging, fulfilling, rewarding. Uh, that is how we create the, uh, the accounting practice of the future. And speaking of the future, we are almost out of time now. Uh, unfortunately, I'll make it count, but I've loved this this conversation, Steve. It has certainly been inspiring and informative and fulfilling and so much more. But before we finish, we do obviously have the secret question. Now, the secret question is uh, is the, the question that a previous Make It Count guest leaves for the current oh yes uh making oh, count yes, guess right. so i have the uh, the question here that i haven't uh, actually seen myself let me see oh that's an interesting one and it's uh it's certainly about the future and it's about change so steve the secret question for you in an ai powered future what uniquely human skills will define exceptional accountants and I think that's what they call putting you on the spot there, Steve. <laughs> that, that's a good question. Mm. Okay, here's, here's my first take on this. And maybe a more considered answer might, might consider something else. But it's driven me to a particular area, which actually takes me back to something you mentioned maybe 20 or 30 minutes ago. And it's this issue about being a trusted advisor. Mm. So AI, we all know what AI is or, or, or purports to be, and that is a computer um, helping us to generate information in order to make decisions. And then a human, uh, we, we get we get that. Then we bring in this concept of what we really want to be, which is a trusted advisor. And let's talk about that word trust. You mentioned earlier on, Freddie, you said some people say, I just want clients to trust me. And, and it's this, how do I create that trust? Well, I've got a theory on trust. Trust is broken down into three areas. First of all, honesty, mm -hmm. okay? Obvious, yeah, we get that. Can't trust somebody if they're not honest. Mm. Can a human be honest? Yes. Is that a skill we will need in an AI? Yes, but it's always been a skill. Mm. Can a computer be honest? Well, we can debate that for a long time, but let's go with yes mm. at the moment, as long as there's the integrity within the system. Second part of trust is some degree of expertise. No point in trusting somebody about accountancy if they're a, if they're a car mechanic. Mm -hmm. So do they know what they're talking about? Have they have they got the qualifications? Well. There's our skills coming through again. Do we know what we're talking about? Do we really keep up to date? Do we keep over? But here's where we're going to struggle because the computer with the wealth of resources they can, they can, they can focus in on that. So we then go to, we're forced to go to the third element of trust. And this is the one that's always overlooked. And this is the differentiator, I think. And that's empathy. Mm. Now's the key skill. A human can apply which I understand, I might, somebody might tell me, oh, no, no, AI can do empathy as well. Empathy is a human quality. Empathy is that wrapper that really pushes through the expertise and the honesty that you've got because you need to listen. 
you need to analyze, you need to understand where a client is coming from. No point in just saying all the tax rates or all unloading all the accountancy knowledge you've got and hoping that a client will somehow be able to use that to solve the problems. Empathy has to be in the center of every relationship we have because empathy is then what generates the actual trust. And I think Again, this is this is a quick answer to, um, sorry, a quick response. I'm sure it's not the only thing, but I would say empathy is the key to how the accountant deals in an AI world. Bloody hell, Steve! For a, for a response off the cuff like that, that was a uh, was a pretty damn good one. There's a massive irony alert here because I bet if I'd written that question into Chat GPT, it would not have given <laughs> me uh, such an emotional, insightful, and compelling answer which uh, which definitely does prove that uh, for for human accountants and advisors that the future is absolutely bright for those reasons that you say and I, I totally agree i think empathy oh, yeah. is is key and as long as we can keep discovering empathy as long as we can keep ha- keeping empathy at the top of our minds both in our business our colleagues and our clients then um, there'll always be a need for further change in uh, in the future so I love that. Thank you. Steve, if, if, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about Inspire, how do they find you? How do they get in touch? We've got the usual digital links. Um, BWP-Inspire is what relates them also. www.bwp-inspire.co.uk. Um, that itself then has the digital links elsewhere. But generally, our handle is that the right word on all the social medias is at bwp hyphen inspire so whether it's facebook instagram etc that's uh that's the place to go perfect thank you and i'll put all those links in the show notes as well but for now steve thank you so much for being part of make it count it has been a truly changing in terms of life-changing career-changing conversation and thank you for sharing all of your experience and insights and i can't wait to discover what the fifth type of accountant is going to be uh, as part of your journey <laughs> yeah, me too. so as uh, so now steve <laughs> thank you for being part of make it count and uh, we can't wait to play another part of your journey of uh, of the future thank you very much freddie and thank you for inviting me on it's better I've, I've enjoyed that this morning thank you perfect pleasure Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.